0: Hey, everyone. Hope you are doing well. It's hump day. It's Wednesday. We're in the middle of the week, hoping that everything is going okay in your life and that you're staying connected to loved ones and finding your your meaning and your sense of fulfillment in life. Uh, it's It's been a good week so far. It is cold as fuck here in Houston. It's been under 20 degrees, which is really cold for us, so we're not used to it. What I want to do in this episode is to just read the latest blog that I wrote. It's a blog trying to understand the difference between reflection and rumination. And so I'll read it and then I'll talk a little bit about the episode that's coming out uh, this upcoming Friday with my friend Rudy McCormick. So here's the blog, Understanding the Fine Line, Reflection Versus rumination. Socrates famously said, the unexamined life is not worth living. As an introvert and four on the Enneagram, I thrive when I have plenty of time to think, self-reflect, and ponder the deep mysteries within myself and the world around me. I've always resonated with Socrates' wisdom. In fact, there's been a secret smugness about my proclivity to indulge in deep introspective thought. Whatever is happening in my life, I've entertained a fantasy that because I think deeply about myself, I must be doing something right. The smugness comes from looking down on others who I perceive as shallow and unreflective, living a life that Socrates would deem unworthy. Self-reflection and introspection are essential for a fulfilling life. The danger is in navigating the fine line between reflection and rumination, Reflection can lead to deeper self-awareness, greater resilience, and enhanced emotional intelligence. Rumination often results in anxiety, depression, and exacerbates existing psychological problems. Rumination or reflection. A few weeks ago, I was reminded of the etymology of rumination from a client studying to be a veterinarian. I was reminded that the word ruminate comes from the Latin word rumin which once referred to a compartment in the stomach of cows. In animal science, rumination refers to a cow's tendency to chew the cud. Cows regurgitate partially digested food up from the stomach for another chew. In the realm of human psychology, rumination is engaging in a repetitive negative thought process that loops continuously in the mind without end or completion. The research is clear that unchecked rumination can lead to anxiety disorders and depression. Reflection, like rumination, is focused attention on internal thoughts and feelings. Reflection is time spent pondering, exploring, and examining one's life. Time spent problem-solving and exploring feeling states can result in personal growth and creativity. So what is the fine line between rumination and reflection? It's not whether the content that's being pondered is negative. Because one can surely examine a mistake at work or an issue in a relationship and learn from it and figure out a positive solution. That type of inner work can be reflection and not rumination. I think there are two things that distinguish rumination and reflection. The first is whether or not one is seeking an end or completion to the inner process. The second is the tone and emotional charge in which we do the inner work. Let me break down both of these below. Reflection has an endpoint. Let me start by being clear about what I am not saying. I am not suggesting that self-reflection is something that comes to an end in the sense that we come to a complete understanding of ourselves and the world around us. Reflection is a lifelong process. The philosopher Heraclitus wrote, You will not discover the limits of the soul by traveling. Even if you wander over every conceivable path, so deep is its story. What I mean by an endpoint is that reflection aims at some tangible solution or positive outcome. This is clear if we contrast it with rumination. Susan Nolan Hoeksema defines rumination as repeatedly and passively thinking about the causes or consequences of problems without moving to active problem-solving. This is where rumination can feel like a never-ending hamster wheel. It's not going anywhere productive. As my wife likes to say, trying to accomplish something through rumination is like trying to get somewhere on a rocking chair. Reflection is introspective processing and pondering that helps us understand ourselves better. More often than not, we feel we grow and expand after we spend time in reflection, Rumination does not lead to greater self-awareness. It usually keeps us stuck in self-doubt and self-flagellation. This leads us to the second important difference between the two, reflection and self-compassion. According to Rick Hansen, the difference between reflection and rumination, what he calls introspection in this quote, is this, whether the reflection process is productive Introspection is productive. Rumination is not. Rumination is repetitive, negativistic, and often self-flagellating, and thus a major risk factor for anxiety and depression. This is really another way of saying that reflection has a type of endpoint. For example, productivity, while rumination does not. There is something very important to highlight about Hansen's quote. Unlike reflection, rumination is often self-flagellating. Rumination is so toxic and psychologically damaging because it is a cycle of self-judgment placed on repeat. Kristen Neff, professor of psychology at the University of Texas at Austin, is one of the pioneers in the research of self compassion. Self-compassion refers to the process of extending compassion to oneself during times of perceived inadequacy, failure, or general suffering. Although self-compassion is not a separate counseling modality in my specific repertoire, it does inform my work with clients and my own personal spirituality. According to Kristen Neff, there are three elements of self-compassion. Number one, self-kindness versus self-judgment. Self-compassion encourages us to be warm And understanding toward ourselves when we make mistakes, fail, feel inadequate, and just suffer in our lives. Unfortunately for many of us, self-kindness is not a natural posture that we take toward ourselves. Going back to Rick Hansen, he argues that our brains have evolved with a negativity bias. This means that our brains are hardwired to scan the environment for threats and not to focus on positive resources or opportunities. You see, our brains are primed to imagine that self-judgment and internal criticism will protect us from harm and keep us from being lazy. Many of us hold these metacognitive beliefs that in order to succeed and accomplish our goals, we have to be harsh and judgmental with ourselves. The research actually points in the opposite direction. Self-kindness does not result in laziness or self-indulgence. People who practice self-compassion and extend kindness to themselves tend to have a learning or growth mindset where they recognize mistakes and setbacks are a normal part of the process. Where self-judgment tends to shut people down, self-kindness actually increases motivation. If rumination is harsh and results in self-judgment, reflection navigates imperfections and growth in a spirit of self-kindness. Common humanity versus isolation. I find that when I ruminate, I feel more and more isolated. I get caught in a loop of negative, perseverative thinking, and this makes me feel separate from others and like I'm the only one who's struggling with this particular issue. My clients report the exact same thing all the time. Rumination is like a magnifying glass that amplifies the dark and negative realities in our life. The more we ruminate, the closer the magnifying glass gets to our issues. We start to believe that our struggle is unique and no one could ever understand what we are going through. This sense of disconnection and isolation, according to Eric Fromm, is the worst suffering imaginable. Self-compassion encourages us to remember that suffering, hardship, and setbacks are inevitable facets of the human experience. When we reflect, we may be processing very difficult material, If we can remember that we are not alone and that we are sharing in a common, shared humanity, this will help us not fall into the trap of rumination. Mindfulness versus over-identification. As I write this blog, I'm super excited about a conversation I'll be having with my good friend Rudy on Psyche Podcast. We've been doing a series exploring the thought of psychoanalyst Eric Fromm, Our intended goal for our next conversation is to explore themes from Fromm's book, Psychoanalysis and Zen Buddhism. I've read the book twice, and I feel like I've only scratched the surface of what Fromm is getting at. In terms of the scope of this blog, I want to highlight a concept that Fromm writes about that has helped me differentiate reflection from rumination. Fromm introduces the concept of cerebration. Cerebration is the process of reducing reality to our thoughts and concepts about reality. Fromm gives the example of seeing a ball rolling down the street. For a young child, she has an experience of the ball rolling down the street. For most adults, we are thinking about the ball rolling down the street. Rumination is connected to what Adrian Wells calls the cognitive attentional syndrome, or C.A.S., The CAS is an unhelpful style of thinking characterized by worry, rumination, monitoring for threat, and unhelpful cognitive and behavioral coping strategies, such as avoidance and thought suppression. I think there's an overlap between what Fromm calls cerebration and what Wells and other cognitive psychologists call CAS. When we cerebrate or are trapped in CAS, we are over identifying with our negative thoughts and feelings. We are reducing the rich and complex nature of reality to our limited words and concepts. Self compassion encourages us to move from cerebration to mindfulness. Mindfulness is a non judgmental, receptive mind state in which one observes thoughts and feelings as they are without trying to suppress or deny them. Mindfulness is neither suppression nor identification with our negative thoughts and feelings. If rumination encourages cerebration and over-identification with thoughts, reflection is more in line with a mindful approach to reality. Self-reflection incorporates an awareness of the body and a focus on the present moment. Rumination tends to be severed from body awareness and focuses on the past and the future reflect, don't ruminate. In this final section, I want to describe three strategies to help resist rumination and three ideas to help you practice healthy self-reflection. Is rumination uncontrollable? Before describing three exercises to help you resist rumination, I have to address a very common assumption brought up by so many of my clients. Isn't rumination uncontrollable? The short answer is that rumination is within our conscious control. Now, I have not always believed this. In fact, for most of my life, I have operated under the assumption or with the metacognitive belief that there is not much that I can do to manage my rumination. But here's the thing. Our thoughts are out of our conscious control. We know that thought suppression does not work. Just try not to think of a pink elephant. I bet you just thought of one. While we may not have conscious control of our thoughts, we can change our relationship to these thoughts. Think of rumination as a certain toxic relationship to our thoughts. We obsess, dwell, perseverate, and become enmeshed with our thoughts when we ruminate. It doesn't have to be like this. Just like a healthy interpersonal relationship is possible, so are healthy relationships with our thoughts. Three strategies to help resist rumination. While resisting rumination is possible, it's not always easy. Like any other worthwhile endeavor, it takes time, effort, and discipline. Create distance from your thoughts. Before you can resist rumination, you have to acknowledge that you have fallen into the pit of rumination. One of the best ways to do this is to practice cognitive distancing. Cognitive distancing is a strategy in metacognitive therapy, or MCT, and other cognitive therapy approaches. It's a metacognitive process where one gains a level of awareness of their thought process. It's a type of thinking about our thinking. According to Alfred and Beck, distancing refers to the the ability to view one's own thoughts or beliefs as constructions of reality rather than as reality itself. The Stoic philosopher Epictetus encouraged an early form of cognitive distancing in his ancient philosophical handbook. Train yourself, therefore, at the very outset to say to every harsh impression, you are merely an impression and not at all what you appear to be. Thoughts or impressions aren't necessarily true, and you should not, and they should not always be taken seriously. Once you have enough distance from a disturbing thought, you can decide how you would like to relate to it. I encourage my clients all the time to write down their negative thoughts and feelings in a journal, and I ask them to write them down in third person. Here's an example. Michael is having the thought that he's not a very good father. Michael is comparing himself to other fathers in the neighborhood. I know that sounds strange as hell, maybe even a a type of stupid example, but here's the thing. When we write things down in third person, it helps our brain experience greater distance from the emotional charge of our thoughts and impressions because it's almost like it's happening to someone else. Question the purpose of the overthinking. It's really important to remember that we all have metacognitive beliefs about the value of our rumination or overthinking. Some of us believe that our rumination will help us solve the problem at hand or help us feel better. Others believe that rumination is uncontrollable. These metacognitive beliefs need to be questioned. If you can question the validity of your metacognitive beliefs around the utility or function of rumination, you can slow down your ruminating and overthinking. So the next time you fall into rumination, create a little bit of distance and ask yourself, Do I really believe that I cannot stop this rumination? Has rumination ever made me feel better? Have I ever solved the problem at hand by ruminating? Or did it get worse? Postpone rumination for a different time. A common intervention I use with clients is known as worry or rumination postponement. When you find yourself wanting to overthink, tell yourself, I'm really wanting to worry and dwell on whatever it is. I'm going to set an alarm and worry about this thing at 4 o'clock, just to give an example. I'll give myself 10 minutes to worry the hell out of this thing, and then I'll do something else. Since the mind tends to self-regulate when not in a state of attentional fixation or threat, chances are what you wanted to ruminate about may not have the same emotional charge that it did hours earlier. But even if it does, setting aside 10 minutes to ruminate instead of all day can really help with your anxiety or depression. Three ideas to encourage healthy self-reflection. Reflection Reflection can be a healthy practice to grow in self-awareness, emotional intelligence, creativity, and resilience. I don't think there's one right way to do it. You've got to find the practices that work for you. Here are a few examples. Therapy. And of course, I'm biased as a psychotherapist, but I really think this is an important one. If you can afford it, if you have the time to do it. Working with a good therapist can be a great way to go deeper into yourself without falling into rumination. A therapist can ask the right questions and then help you navigate triggering thoughts and emotions. He or she can also equip you with important tools and skills to help you explore your inner self outside the clinical hour. If you're really struggling with rumination, you may may consider working with someone who incorporates metacognitive therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy in their approach. Journaling. I have found that journaling is a great way to express my difficult thoughts and emotions without it devolving into rumination. There's plenty of good research on the mental health benefits of journaling. I find that it's a way for me to experience emotional release, to organize my thoughts, and to explore difficult material, and this is the key, in a time-bound manner. Although I may not accomplish or achieve anything, Journaling keeps me from spiraling into the never-ending void of rumination. Finally, nature. A few years ago, a colleague who does eco-psychotherapy introduced me to the acronym SPOT, or Special Place of Tranquility. This can be anywhere in nature where you can take a few moments to experience emotional calm and mental clarity. Finding a special place you can go to experience mindfulness can put you in greater touch with yourself and the world. This is a dedicated time to move from cerebration to present moment contact with reality. I try to get time in nature several times a week, if I can, for maybe 10 to 15 minutes at a time. I sit in my backyard, for the most part, enjoy a nice cocktail or coffee, and either read a book, journal, or simply listen to the birds singing. I'd love to hear from you and how you have found time to reflect in nature. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed it. I I really do hope that this distinction between reflection and rumination is helpful to you. I I don't think this is the only way to think about it. I'm perfectly fine if you disagree and you have maybe a different take on it. I I know there will be those that do and, and that's okay. Um, there's a lot more that I could have said. There's different angles that we could have explored, but I feel pretty good about uh, this framework that I've kind of established, helping us differentiate the two, and and I'm hoping that it's at least challenging and and helpful to you. As always, I'm I'm going to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Hopefully, uh, you'll you'll rate it highly. Uh, it helps people find the episodes to connect with the show. And yeah, I, I hope that you will tune in uh, later this weekend when the show drops. I'm really hoping to connect with Rudy to do our third episode in the series exploring the wonderful thought of the psychoanalyst, Eric Fromm, who we both are into. And yeah, our intended goal, like I said earlier, was to look at some of the, the major themes, some of the interesting ideas in his phenomenal book, Psychoanalysis and Zen Buddhism, if you've never read from, I really think this might be a good way to get into his work. Um, the The book that I have just has his lectures. Uh, he also did some lectures with D.T. Suzuki. I, I don't have that particular edition, but this one is very short. It's very concise. He does an amazing job of not only explaining Zen Buddhism, but explaining what what he means by a humanistic psychoanalysis, right? Taking what Freud did and then kind of modifying it according to his own radical humanism, which is so good and so insightful. I I really think you're going to enjoy that episode. I I know that I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, enough of me. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And remember, continue the conversation.